0: Hey, my name is Ruben, the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. Welcome to our podcast, where you can catch up on all the messages that you might have missed, or you might want to hear again. We hope you enjoy this message. We hope it challenges you. We hope it encourages you. And we hope ultimately that it would draw you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Thank you. Thank you, Isaac. And uh, thanks for having us here. And it's been great to be here over the weekend. And uh, our prayer is that tonight... As we dive into this last part of Ephesians, I think we've got one more in the series, that it would be a blessing to you, a challenge to you, a call to you. Every time we open the Word of God, that's really what it is, isn't it? It's a blessing to open God's Word. It's a challenge to open God's Word, and it's a call to open God's Word. And As you've been going through the book of Ephesians, uh, you have discovered the wonder of this redemption, the salvation story, those first three chapters, just tell so beautifully the good news of the gospel, of what it means to put your faith and your trust in Jesus and what happens to you internally, what happens to you eternally, what happens to you uh, in your life. And and that's the wonder of those first three chapters. It turns the corner in chapter four and you get this, uh, if you like, for this reason, which of course is the whole, your whole series is what it's called, this reason is the salvation we have. This reason is, is the gospel, and chapter 4 invites us into that challenge of, right, well, now, now you know who you are and what God has done. He then says, right, live worthy of it, right? You're a follower of Jesus. You're a disciple. You're loved. You've been redeemed. You've been restored. Now live up to it. Live worthy of that. Live this life that reflects Jesus Christ. And so today, that's what we dive into in this passage in chapter 5, which is the family zone. What does it look like for a family to reflect Christ?
1: Yeah, and we're going to read those verses out in a second, but um, just before we do, we're talking about, yeah, the family zone, but what we've got to understand is that the context of the family was a bit different from what how we know it and experience it often in our world here in New Zealand in this day and age, and so... We might sort of think of perhaps things like um, the nuclear family kind of picture or um, some some sort of small little family unit. But when we're talking about the context of the people that this letter was written to in Ephesus, they, they were talking to households. So instead of the word family, you could use the word household. And a household included loads of people quite often. So it wasn't just those people who were connected by blood, although it included those people but it was those who sort of did life together um, within the home and and joined in with the business of the home so it involved even people like the servants and the slaves and it was multi-generational and yeah there could be dozens of people and the funny thing is if if this was the con- if the church was um, receiving this letter the very first time they received this letter in Ephesus they would have been in homes right and so they would have been in like lounge rooms receiving this teaching and so you've got you know masters and slaves and kids and adults and aunts and uncles and associates and family members and grandparents and, and, and others who have been connected in through the network. So that's the context when you think household.
0: Cool. So Ephesians five twenty one through to 6, verse 9, and imagine you're sitting in one of those households and you're sitting there as you and alongside you as other people who are in your household and this is what you're hearing from this letter starting at verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church's body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Slaves, do not Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes are on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since they know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Christian marriage, Christian household, right? This marriage reflects Christ and the church and there is a lot of mirroring that goes on there. You can see it on the screen. Christ is the head of the church. The husband is the head of the wife. Christ loves and cares for the church. Husbands love and care for your wife. Christ and the church are one flesh. Husband and wife, you are one flesh. The church submits to Christ, so wives submit to your husband.
1: Now, I don't know whether you noticed it, but there's some controversial stuff in there. (laughs) Um, Raise your hand if any of that jars you. Yeah, come on. If it doesn't jar you, I'm surprised it's controversial, isn't it? And, and, you know, we could just sort of go on like there's no elephant in the room, but there is an elephant in the room. And if we don't sort of work out what this is all about, it's going to get in the way of our understanding. And so, so we're going to go into, in particular, right now, this really thorny subject of authority and submission. Are you up for it? <laughs> You're with me? You're very quiet. Are you up for it? Okay, all right, good. Okay, so the very first thing to notice is verse 21. Now, verse 21 says something quite interesting. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is the message to everybody. So within this group right here, this family of God, um, this church, we are to mutually submit to one another. And what that means is it's really speaking about... um, being deferential towards one another. Me looking out for you. You looking out for me. Me thinking, what are your needs? You thinking, what are your needs? And so together we are submitting to one another. Okay, So that's the, that's the baseline. That's the foundation on which the rest of this is built. And that's really, really important. So the whole of the New Testament is pretty much giving us this message. Submit to one another. All the one another's of Scripture. And then it goes into marriage in particular, okay, and and we're going to go there, and our culture has really kind of like banished the idea of there being authority and submission within the family unit, and it's done that with the intention of valuing equality, and a certain way of understanding that word equality, and so that's the culture that we that we're in, that's the sea we swim in, that's what we know, right? Which is why when we read something like this, for most of us who grow up in our world here, we read a scripture like this and and it knocks us off our balance. It's quite dizzying and um, disconcerting and it's strange and we don't quite know what to do with it because we're reading words like submission and head and, and stuff like that. We're like, what? How does that all kind of work? This is not what I know. Alternatively, if we were in in many, many other cultures, and actually our own culture back in time, but many, many other cultures today, the dizzying part of this teaching is not the fact that there is authority and submission within a marriage. That's completely normal for them, right? The strange part, the controversial part, and the part that, that, that they'd be putting their hand up and saying, yeah, that throws me, I don't know what to do with that. The strange part for them would be That the authority that's spoken about here, the one who is in authority is the one who serves the most. That the one who is the one in authority is the one who lays down their life and serves the other person. That would be the controversial but the other controversial bit would be that the one who then or the ones that who submit then to that other person that they do so out of out of love, out of joy, out of you know, all in, heartfelt, not just because they have to and it's expected of them and that's the way that's their culture. So it doesn't matter where which culture you're from and which time you're growing up in and where you are in the world, something like this is weird and it's strange, and it's controversial, and it throws us. And we've got to understand, okay, we've just read, we've seen what does the text say. Now we've got to understand what does the text mean. And here's the thing. This kind of authority and submission, the kind that the Bible teaches about, it doesn't have its origins here. It didn't get thought up in the mind of humanity. It has its origins in a different kingdom. It has its origins in the kingdom of heaven. It comes from God. So if it feels like it doesn't belong, and if it seems like it's out of place, so it should. And what you're experiencing is the the kind of whiplash of not only a clash of cultures, but more than that, a clash of kingdoms. It's massive.
0: And that's actually a great definition of discipleship which is a clash of kingdoms. See, discipleship or being a disciple is, is being someone who follows Jesus. And Jesus is not of this world. Jesus is—he created this world, and, and he calls us to actively obey what he commands. And so what that does in this and in so many situations in the Bible, it calls us to actually step out of our own cultural, social context and put obedience to him above that. The challenge we face is that when we find something that jars or doesn't feel good, we'd prefer to change the truth of the word to fit our feeling, as opposed to saying, "I'm going to obey the word and allow my feeling to be put back under control." You know, off track a little bit. So we promised each other we weren't going to do this, but I just—I know, terrible sorry, terrible promise. I know, terrible. It doesn't work. No. Um. Some of you, and and this is just a prompting, so I think some of you are saying at the moment there are things in your life, and even the words of the songs, you're going, yeah, I want the blessing of God, but I want it on my terms, and I want the presence of God, but I want it on my terms, and you're wrestling in your soul with the reality that you know actually what the Lord calls you in terms of his word is not your current terms, and The challenge for you out of God's word is say, you know what? I'm going to put the authority of God's word. I'm going to actively obey God's word and just trust him, no matter what the answer. Mm -hmm. I have this this conversation I had with God in my head, and it's, it's out of context what we're talking about here, but I remember driving home one day. We had had some pain in our world, and we had wept so many tears over this pain. And I remember driving home one day, crying out to God, and God said to me, and if I never solve that for you, will you still trust me and love me? And I can, remember, I can remember the exact spot on the drive home where I said, Lord, absolutely. And there was a freedom and a joy that came from that. And I think there's too many followers of Jesus who are holding, trying to hold God to ransom. And you end up destroying yourself. You see, following God is the only way to go. Right, we're back on track. Sorry. (laughs) So, Mm. see, the Bible tells us that Christ is the head of the church Mm. and the husband is the head of the wife. And Ephesians 5 explains to us that this marriage relationship that we enjoy, that we share, this earthly relationship, is the relationship through which the Lord has chosen to express and reflect the mystery and the power and the wonder of Christ and the church.
1: It's incredible, isn't it? Like that, it is amazing. the marriage relationship has been chosen by yeah. God to reflect yeah. Christ in the church,
0: which means that that's one of the most incredible overarching purposes for marriage, yeah.
1: and and also purposes for the headship and submission within marriage. You might think, but why? Yeah. Sometimes we just don't know why. But we say, okay, but God has chosen this, and he's demonstrating this amazing mystery. Mm.
0: Which actually turns marriage on its head a bit, too, yeah. because the the idea of, well, mar- I, I need marriage because it's going to be good for me to have, mm. have a companion, to have mm. a friend, right? To, and we solve loneliness through marriage. Well, you do to a certain extent, but it's so much more than that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, am I allowed to say marriage can be hard work? Mm. Not with Sarah, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah,
1: but. I'm a walk in the park. <laughs>
0: Anyway, okay. You're supposed so, to say yes. So, you are. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah.
1: <laughs> Not just laugh, evil laugh, laugh. No,
0: there, there, are, there are times when uh, wisdom is no words. Um, that's true, uh, Yeah. That's true. Okay. So we've seen what the text says. Now, what we want to do is actually dive into the meaning of these words: head, submit, and love. So, talk to us. What does it mean to be head?
1: Yeah. So, so when you when the word head is used in the Bible, let's just have a think about what does it mean when it's used in the Bible. So. You know what? Usually the word head just means the body part on top of the neck. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Just like when it's used in any other book, okay? So usually that's what it means. Um, And it it brings with it then this beautiful um, meaning of being one with the rest of the body. So this unity, um, this one flesh relationship of the head with the body. Sometimes it means that the the head is the source of something else. And so we'll we'll often use the expression the headwaters when we're speaking of where a river has come from. Um, So that's another way that it can be um, used as the source of something. And also it can be used to refer to the one who has authority. And like we said before, when the Bible talks about the one who has authority, it's talking about the one who is the leading servant in the relationship. And then the others are submitting to this person and to their loving leadership and service. Um, sometimes when the word head is used in the Bible, it's a combination of those various meanings. So when we come across it in a text, we've got to work out which, which meanings is it, is it pulling in here. And the text itself tells us in this case, which is, handy. So in this text with regards to husbands and wives, the word head, what we notice in the text is that the biggest meaning is the word oneness. We are one body, one flesh. There's a body and there's a head and together we're united as one. And you see that whole message coming right through. And then the second meaning that it picks up in in this text is with the word authority. And although it doesn't use the word authority, it it teaches into that idea that that the husband is the leading servant in the marriage and the wife is submitting to his his leading of her, his serving of her.
0: Mm. Which actually leads to a direct challenge to husbands. And I'll include in this husbands and want-to-be husbands and future husbands and potential husbands. Um, Here's the challenge. Don't hide your headship. And I think for many of us uh, men, when it comes to this, the word head is so emotionally charged that we try and step away from it because we don't want to offend. But in fact, what the Bible says is step into this, but then know what it means. To be head means to go first. And to go first means that you're the first one to show love, you're the first one to serve. You're the first one to display forgiveness. You're the first one to equip your family for mission. You're the first one to protect your family with the truth. Mm -hmm. Thing is, as head, you can also be first to show anger and first to show domination, first to display bitterness. You can be the first to abdicate responsibility. And like it or not, husbands is the head. You go first, and what you do determines to a very large extent the direction of the family that you lead,
1: mm. there's so much relearning, isn't yeah. there, in all yeah. of this? Because you know, like we've all come from families and family situations and mm. extended families and so on, where we have seen marriage played out or relationship played out, and it it may not look a lot like this. No,
0: and that idea of, of head often conjures up. You know, images of, of authority and yeah. domination yeah. and just Pain. sitting and everybody else running around. Yeah. Pain. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. But it's, it's not nothing like, like that. that. No. No, and that's why you've got to keep on going back up to yep. what does it look like with Jesus yep. and us? And he's he's the one that we're actually reflecting. And, you know, when you think about um, think about it anatomically, think about a physical human body— A head can only lead well when it's receiving full information, full input from the rest of the body. And so there's this beautiful feedback system between the head and the body. There's this neural network that's connecting everything all together. And all the time, what's happening is that the, the head is continually assessing needs and threats as it's listening to all the information that's flowing up to it. And then that information's flowing back down, and back up, and back down. So there's this constant feedback loop, if you like, that's going on throughout the body. And the head just can't do a good job without that. And so we've got to we've got to remember that it's actually about the good of the body. It's about being in touch with everything that's going on and doing what is for the good of the body. So it's
0: it's literally working in sync. It's, it's yeah. you could say collaboration that doesn't quite get there, but it's yeah. integration. It's 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 one fleshness. Yeah, together. It's like we're well, yeah. one. It's it's yeah. not a sense of head you know, husband, wife, it's yeah. together. Yeah. But there's responsibility and there's communication and, and it just all works together. So mm-hmm. that's the idea of head. This idea of submit is an interesting one because that actually comes from a military term. And what you want to think about is, is an army unit organized with levels of authority in there. And so for that unit to actually achieve the mission for which it was sent, there is submission. And so if you think of in a marriage, we are to submit to the mission of displaying the glory of God. And you think about from a wife when it says, wives, submit to your husbands. What you're doing in that is you're saying, I'm submitting to this overarching mission of reflecting Christ and of being one flesh so that we actually create this beautiful illustration of what that redemptive work of God looks like.
1: And so, what it doesn't look like is Nick leaving out a list of, a checklist for me to achieve for the day or something like that. It's just, it's not like that. No, Sarah like, leaves that for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm more likely to leave that yeah, for Nick, that's true. But, but no, what it looks like is it looks like walking in step together, yeah. it looks like agreeing together. Um, it looks like, from from my perspective, it looks like me bringing my full self always to the table of our marriage, you know, and not pulling away, but really just giving myself to the mission of the marriage and to all of Nick's serving of me and his serving of our marriage. So, um, another another word that the Bible uses here in verse twenty uh, in verse thirty three is the word respect, and I think that respect and submit they're, they're really closely tied. Um, tied up together because um, as I display a respect towards, just like as I res- display a respect towards you, you feel it, right? And then you feel more able to serve me back. And, and it goes two ways. And as I, as I demonstrate and, and be careful in the way that I interact with Nick so that I am demonstrating respect to him. Now, I can't make him feel respected. Only Nick, Nick's responsible for that. Um, I can't own that that's not my but I can choose how I respond to Nick and I can do so in a respectful way and, and then that helps you then to love me back. So that's, again it's this feedback system all right toing and froing.
0: And that the idea of, of husbands then loving um, to reflect mm. Christ um, Christ the head of the church, he loves the bride. Mm. I am to love you as my wife and mm. to take the example of Jesus which means this that I will lay down my life for you. I will lay down my life for your needs and for your good that I'll copy the kind of love that Jesus had for his body. Mm. There's a really interesting thought in here because in verse 27, it talks about Jesus presenting his bride um, as a radiant bride. Mm. And that sort of evokes possibly a, a bit of a negative thought of, well, are you, are you a trophy wife? Do I present you like some goods out there? And mm. and, and yet nothing could be further nice. from the truth. so
1: not what it means. Because what, mm.
0: what Jesus is saying here is that word present literally means I'm going to draw my bride alongside me with close fellowship and intimacy. And so the picture here that Jesus is giving for husbands and wives is husbands, your role, how you love your wife is you draw her close to you in fellowship and companionship and intimacy. And here's how you do it. You love her by giving your life for her. You lay down your life for her. She is first. Now, the word love that Paul uses here is the word agape, and there are three other words for love that you see in the New Testament. Um, One of those is eros, which is erotic love. It's driven by sexual desire. That's not the word he uses here. Nor does he use the word storge, which is family love, and that's driven by bonds of blood. He doesn't use the word philia, which is friendship love, which is driven by affection. Now, all of those are present in a marriage, but the word he uses here is agape. And what that means is for me to draw you close, I'm going to make a decision every moment of the day to love you. And it's going to be deliberate. It's going to be sacrificial. It's going to put me second and you first. It's going to be giving. It's going to be self-denying. It's going to be other-centered, you-centered. And it's going to give without demanding or expecting anything in return. Mm. Utterly selfless love. That is a husband who is the head. That's how he loves. Mm. And as he does that, what he never does is never creates shame. Mm. He never creates reduction or danger or injury or poverty in a person. That has got nothing to do with biblical love Mm. and biblical headship and
1: authority. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I am to submit... Mm. you are to love, I am mm. to respect, you know. You are to lay down your life and serve. Mm. And yet we also know that I am to love you, yeah. I am to lay down my life for you. Mm. And, and serve I am you. to respect you yes. yeah, and to give to you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this yeah.
0: just beautiful cycle of that, isn't it? That's
1: right, that's right. Mm. And yet in a special way in the mm. marriage as we reflect Christ in the church, mm. the word of God to the wife is give attention to submitting to your husband. Mm. And the word of God to the husband is give attention Mm. to Mm. sacrificially laying down your life and love for your wife.
0: Mm. So it's interesting because we say that and we get it and then people go, yeah, okay, good in theory. What does that really look like?
1: Yeah, and it looks different for everybody, to be honest. It's not a cookie-cutter deal. Um, But here are a couple of questions that you could have in your mind um, to help you to build this kind of relationship. So... Um, for a husband, there's a couple of questions that are, that are good. Yep. First one being?
0: Yeah. Um, so first question is, how can I love and serve my wife?
1: Yeah. yeah. And in order for you to love and serve me, you mm-hmm. have to know me. That's true. And I'm, I'm always changing. Have you That's picked that true. up yeah. yet? Yeah. Yeah. And so I am not who I was when we first got married 34 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm not even really who I was last week sometimes. Yeah, so you've got to keep up, buddy.
0: You're always better.
1: <laughs> it's always on the going in the right direction. Yeah, no. eh? yep, absolutely. So, so you've got to find out who I am, yep. and my needs are changing, and I'm mm. changing. So that that involves asking me questions. Mm-hmm. It involves sitting down, listening, spending time. All those, you know, all those things that can sometimes just go out the window. But that's really how you find out yeah, how. So to we, love. Need,
0: we need time. We, we need, need time. to actually spend that intentional time. So yeah. the second question then, which is a great question to ask myself, is how do I then bring you? into close fellowship and intimacy with me.
1: Yeah, and it's all of that that we just talked about. Yep. Um, And I would add one thing too. It's Mm. also you actually opening up your inner world to me. And I know that's not always easy for you, Nick.
0: Yeah, and what if there's nothing there? (laughs)
1: Look inside and yeah. it's empty. Yeah. 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 Look harder.
0: Okay. Yeah. Make something up.
1: Yeah, and prepare. Okay. Like before yeah. you start the conversation, have a wee think, what might be in there? You know. I Google sometimes it. do that. Google it. So I'm sure someone else has an answer. Yeah,
0: yeah. But, yeah,
1: yeah. no, but quite honestly, um, this is where, like, often guys have to get a bit better at this and find some words to actually describe, you know, what is going on in the inside. You know those
0: moments when you look one <laughs> into your eyes and I say, darling, I love you. And you look back at me and you go, "Why?
1: Tell me more. And Tell I go, me more. I have no idea. You're like I don't know. I just I love just you. Do. I just do. What no. do you love about me? Oh no! no, no. Oh, why did I start this? Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, I should just put flowers. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. So what? Hey, so what about you? Oh, what about yeah. Me? Hey, let's turn this on me. Okay. Mm-hmm. So a couple of questions I might want to ask mm-hmm. myself. Um, I I need to ask myself, what can I do and say in order to truly demonstrate respect? Mm.
0: So in this impenetrable um, person you have in front of you, there's actually um, feelings of disrespect. There are feelings of respect that come which can hurt Mm. or can build up. Mm. And there are times when um, there are things that can be said or done to me, around me, to others, Mm. which will either build that up beautifully – and it's amazing when that happens. Just how much easier and better it is to then be able to come into that idea of love and, and oneness. Yeah. So I think um, find out what evokes respect in me.
1: So I could actually ask you. You could ask me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I could. And you could warn me. Give me you know forty eight hours notice. To think and I could of an think about it. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah that'd cool. be great. Cool. Okay.
1: And then the second question I could be asking you is how can I mm. increase our unity and our oneness right now?
0: I think when if I get the whole idea I've got to go first so sometimes that's go first in showing affection sometimes that's going first in in apologising sometimes that's going first in admitting things if you withdraw that's really hard And, and if you don't lean into that then that oneness just gets difficult and we find we both then can entrench and we can sort of walk in parallel yeah. as opposed to in unity. So I would say increasing our unity and oneness, Am I with, are you withdrawing or are you leaning in? Mm. And that just is so powerful. Yeah,
1: yeah, awesome. Okay, so there's a wee, a wee insight into um, marriage that reflects Jesus, so it's a beautiful thing. And I'd say get practicing, guys, get practicing on these good things. And then we turn a corner in the text, and, um, and we move into the part of families where kids are. And whether you know, if kids are part of your family or part of your future family, then this is what it says. It says, "Children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right." And so we might ask the question, well, why is it important that kids, that children obey their parents? And the text answers it because it's right. It's right. It's commanded by God. It's right in God's eyes. It is good and it is godly and it is part of their in the Lord. It's part of their discipleship, part of their growth, part of their serving of the Lord. And remember that with parents and kids, this is not an equal relationship. And, you know, again, culture seems to be sending us a different message on this. It is not an equal relationship. Um, and, you know, if you are still a young person, then you are not equal with your parents. They know stuff you don't know. And a child has to actually learn obedience. And they have to learn what's right and wrong. So they learn have to learn how to obey and they have to learn what to obey. And a parent actually has the responsibility and the wonderful opportunity of training, or another word is discipling or disciplining. That's the same word, their children. So training them in in how to obey.
0: So does this passage though say that if you train a child to be obedient, they're going to live longer?
1: It looks like it says that um, because it says here so that it it comes with the commandment comes with a Mm. promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Um, But actually, the interesting thing is, is that this is actually a quote from the Old Testament, that verse. It's from Deuteronomy 5, where the promise is given to an entire nation. And the promise is, if the nation of Israel would raise their children to obey their parents in following God's ways, then the nation would be blessed and would enjoy many generations on the earth. Um, so, yeah, it's actually it's actually a quote from the Old Testament Okay, there. so
0: what we could do, though, is, is look at that and say, well, the principle that's in there is mm. the one of, in Christian parenting, uh, we need to be training our children to obedience. And then mm. as we do that, we do it for a couple of reasons. One, as you just said, um, children obeying and honouring parents is right in God's eyes. Secondly, um, when a child learns to obey, they're being set up to actually then be able to obey Christ. Mm. And it's it's not a natural thing to say yes. It's not a natural thing to say yes to what is true or yes to what is right. In fact, so often um, we'd rather say yes to the stuff which is destructive. So by getting that obedience in place is just a wonderful foundation. And you know what? Um, even when it comes to it, actually giving your life to Christ is an act of obedience. It's mm. obedience to the gospel. And so you're putting into your life a framework of obedience.
1: Mm. Mm. And so we are to bring kids up. We are to raise them up from small and immature to fully grown. We're to have the, the long game in view when we're parenting. Um, and, and to be actually training them, disciplining them, and teaching them. And it's interesting that in the text, um, the word training comes before the word teaching. And I find that interesting because what I've noticed is that kids actually need tangible ways to be able to obey before they understand why. Um, So they need need the how, the training, before they have the what is good and what is evil really clear in their heads.
0: So that's like, if we think about our kids when they were very young, Mm. um, At dinner time, we'd put food on the table and we'd tell them or we'd train them to say thank Thank you you. Mm. um, just to appreciate it. They would give them something, train them to say thank you. Now, they Mm. didn't have a moral framework as to why expressing gratitude was a good idea at that point in time, but we put that into their minds. they got the how, Mm. and then as they grew, they realised there's a why behind it, which is Mm. gratitude. So that's that's an example of how that works. What about this idea of exasperation?
1: Yeah, it says here that we're not to – it says fathers, and that means fathers and mothers – um, and fa- just fathers as well, mm-hmm. do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And to exasperate literally means to provoke to anger. And so when we, when we look at this, we think, well, how, how might I exasperate my kids? How might I provoke them to anger? And I think there's a couple of really clear ways that you can exasperate your kids. You can exasperate your kids by not training them, by not giving them a way in which to obey and get it right. Um, and and that, that comes down to just not making it age-appropriate. It comes down to the, the standards are just too high. You know, you're expecting something. This poor child's trying their best, you know, um, but, and also not um, acknowledging and celebrating their little progress steps, coming down too hard on them when they truly tried. So, so not training them um, is one way you can exasperate them. Um, make them angry. But another way is by not instructing them. In other words, not being clear about what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. And we can do that by um, just not telling them. We can do that by changing the rules on them. So one minute it's absolutely fine to jump on the couch because you just can't be bothered dealing with it today. But tomorrow you're on fire about jumping on the couch and they are going to really get told not to jump on the couch. They don't know if they're, you know, who they are. They don't know where they're at. They don't know, is it is it okay? Is it not okay? Um, and, and another way is you tell them not to do something, and then you go and do it.
0: Which I think is called hypocrisy.
1: Hypocrisy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. So that's marriage. So train them. Yep.
1: And instruct them. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Marriage. Yeah. And marriage, that's parenting, parenting.
0: Yep. and now slaves and masters. And yeah, there's a there's a question lurking under this, which um, we'll get you to, get to in a minute. Which is, does the Bible condone slavery? And that's a really great question. Um, there's a website there, you can scan that um, QR code, and that can take you to a, a, an article which starts some answers around that. What is interesting is a number of things, and we'll just, I'll touch on this for about two minutes, and then we'll finish. But the first thing is this um, we are only in the second century in the history of humanity where slavery has been abolished. It wasn't until the 1800s that slavery was actually abolished. And even though it has been abolished, which came through the evangelical leaders of people like Wilberforce, there's actually more slaves in the world today than there was when it was abolished. So slavery is an issue. So the Bible is not here by talking to slaves and masters. And remember, in the context here, slaves were part of a household. So it is not that the Bible is condoning it. It's simply the Bible here is speaking to people in the time who were around because there would have been slaves in that household who were followers of Christ. In fact, one of the books in the Bible, Philemon, was written about a slave who had actually escaped and had given his life to Christ and then needed to go back to his master. So what Paul is doing here is just simply saying, look, if you're a slave, if you're a master, if you're a child, if you're a wife, if you're a husband, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're an auntie, if you're an uncle, If you're a teenager, he's saying, live worthy of Jesus. Follow Jesus. Put Jesus first. And do that in a way where you are mutually submitting to one another, out of reverence for Christ, where he is your ultimate goal. He is your ultimate aim. Whatever role you have in life, you play that part to the very, very best of your ability, empowered by the Spirit, directed by the Word, so that you bring honor and you bring glory to God.
1: Yeah. So, a controversial set of scriptures there that we got handed to preach. Thanks, Ruby. <laughs> yes, so, so we're driving out of here in
0: about three minutes.
1: <laughs> but you know what? If, if I was um, where you are at the moment, um, you know, th- 35 years ago or so, um, this really troubled me. And I needed some help to work it through. And I would really encourage you, if there's stuff that we've talked about tonight that has just sort of you, you just think, I just don't know what to do with that. Don't feel like you can't talk about it, and don't feel like oh, just because I've listened to a sermon, I should have it all sorted in my head and be fine. You don't have to have it all sorted in your head and be fine. Um, you're on a journey, and um, so um, so within this this church, within this congregation. Um, you know, who do, you, who do they talk to? Isaac, do they come and talk to you if they've got something to talk about? Yeah, and, and connect group leaders and so on. Um, but there's people here who would love to have conversation with you and walk with you. And, and just as you reflect on the scripture, a few questions that we find quite helpful um, to think about, I'll just run through them quickly, is according to what we've just talked about and read from God's word, what am I doing well? That's a really good question. And then the next question um, comes sort of on the other side of that, which is what does God want me to obey? Um, What do I need to come in under with the scriptures? And therefore, what's a step, an actual step that I'm going to take this week or today? And then the final question is, who could I share this with? Who could I have a conversation with some of this about? Maybe not all of it. I don't know. But maybe a piece of it, there could be a conversation you could have with somebody. So there's three plus one question that would be four questions
0: absolutely yeah can we pray for you guys let's pray together father we thank you for your word we thank you for its power its truth its challenge the blessing of obeying it and yet sometimes the grittiness of needing to wrap our head and our heart around the concepts that are in there father i pray for every person in this room that we would all take a step closer to that intimate love relationship with you that you are drawing each one of us into as, a, as part of the Radiant Bride, the Church of God. And Father, for those of us who um, are challenged by what we've heard, Holy Spirit, would you give us the grace uh, to wrestle uh, and to put into place, uh, to, Lord, deal with uh, what's going on in our own head and our own heart, Father, for those uh, who are in here, for whom some of this has been painful, thank you, Father, that you you know and you see and you care. And Father, I pray, I pray for healing for some. I pray for healing of the heart and for freeing of the mind. And Father, I pray for some courage, seeing some of you there's the stuff that you've pushed aside. You've you've just not wanted to go there. Maybe it's just too painful. And so, Lord, I pray for courage that they would bring what's been hidden in the dark into the light and find healing and freedom. And Father, we thank you that that you're above all of this in a way which is so beautiful and so secure and our greatest joy is in walking close with you so Lord would you presence yourself with us again as we surrender ourselves to you again and submit ourselves to this greatest love that the world could ever know Father we give ourselves to you in your name Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or maybe after today's message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find out everything you need to know on our website, which is crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you click subscribe on this podcast so you don't miss out on new content. Thanks for stopping by.